You're listening to a Radio Stockdale podcast. Podcasts that are inspiring, interactive, and feature various discussions of leadership, ethics, and law. Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic, you could almost say, is a triple feature. Yeah. Uh, it's, we're really going to mainly focus on the 2007 film, I Am Legend. But it was, this is based on a novel by Richard Matheson from 1954. Before it was turned into this movie from 2007 it was first turned into a movie in 1964 called the last man on earth which starred vincent price mm-hmm. and then uh 71 71 you had the omega man which starred charlton heston yeah now this uh, the i wanted to do the 2007 one because that's the one most people are familiar with it was the one with will smith yes and it was uh, interesting looking at it 150 million dollars budget for a horror film yeah. It's basically a horror zombie movie, and you never see something on that budget for that kind of genre. And it was a probably yeah. because of it's Will Smith. It was in the top the seventh highest grossing film of the year. Yeah, but then, so that was really interesting. But um, a lot of that uh, budget went into I think a very effective job of uh, uh, portraying through the visuals the uh, post-apocalyptic New York. I think they did a great job with that. And there were just all kinds of subtle little touches in the environment that they put in that were kind of like inside jokes to some extent, like the, the, the uh, uh, movie posters. If you saw, there were yeah, movie posters a- that were concurrent with the time that this disaster yeah. would have happened there's yeah, a batman a, superman batman thing superman and then i forget what the other one was yeah, but i, I saw- said that movie was so bad it caused the apocalypse <laughs> and just little things like that and the, the attention to detail with that it was completely realistic i thought the scene with the uh, uh aircraft carrier with all the um all the uh naval aircraft parked on it and uh, Will Smith is hitting golf balls off the wing of the SR-1. Mm-hmm. Um, that was nicely done. So you know they spent a lot of money on that portion of the film. And they did. it really helped the atmosphere of the thing, too. Yeah. You really get a good feel. I think a, a, a lot of this film is really just a, a meditation. It, it departs significantly from the book, right, mm-hmm. as do the other two films. Um, this one departs to the extent that these these are not rec- these zombies are not recognizable as vampires like yes, they're supposed to be the in the books. Thing. They're vampires. Yeah, in the books. they're practically um, vampires. But I think that's kind of like it's almost like the, the vampire theme and the monster thing and the apocalyptic thing became almost secondary to uh, for a significant part of this film. They really were intent on just portraying the loneliness that. Uh, Will Smith's character has and and the uh, tenuous uh, connection he has with the his past life through the dog Sam mm-hmm. and then that those couple of scenes where he goes to the DVD store and he set up the Man. the dummies and he's 
you know, having conversations with the dummies and things like that, it really gives you a feel for how lonely this this man is. So I really liked that that portion that 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 aspect yeah, so of the film. It gets some people who may not be familiar with the plot. Uh, the novel and pretty much this movie, it's it's set in the post-apocalyptic. There was this virus mm-hmm. that spread. Now, they tell this in the movie, but this wasn't the case in the book. But there was this um, attempt to genetically re-engineer the measles virus. And this doctor, um, her name was Dr. Crippen, who was yep. a cameo by Emma Thompson. But she, it's like basically it cures cancer. And so everybody was doing this, but then... It had this negative side effect, and it caused these these uh, virus to basically turn them into zombies. Their eyes would turn red. They would have this. Their heartbeats would increase. They would be, have like this rage induced, yes. and they couldn't come out at night. And they could only come out at night. They couldn't come out during the daytime right. because their skin would be hurt by any kind, any kind of light, not just the sun. But if you shine a bright light, it would hurt them. Yes, and. Will Smith's character is Robert Neville, and he worked for the Army. He was a scientist, and he was trying to discover a cure for this. And he... I'm thinking, I was thinking about the Omega Man one, where the Mega Man, he finds the cure, and he puts it on himself, but they couldn't distribute it. Yeah. But in this one, he couldn't figure it out yet. And then he yeah. tried to evacuate his family on a helicopter, but another helicopter was going wildly because people were trying to grab onto it and it veered and it crashed into his family, killing him, his family. Yep. The only thing he has left is the uh, dog. his daughter's dog, Samantha. Yeah. Right. And he's been, it's, I believe they say it's been over a thousand days he's been isolated. It's in all of New York City. He's basically by himself. Mm-hmm. And he is, but he's still, what he does is he sets traps to capture um, these, the people who are infected. They hide out in dark Buildings that haven't been populated. They just hide there during the daytime. At nighttime, they come out. Yeah. He captures them. He captures this one female infected. And he's doing these experiments on her to test the cure. He thinks he might find something, but he's still not 100% sure. He's he's somewhat confident. Because if you remember that one scene, when he, he first goes down to the laboratory... And we discover he's been doing this research. He's been doing it on rats. And he goes through cages and cages of rats, and all of them are aggressive. You know, and he he, he kind of narrates this to us as he's with his uh, tablet, right? And he's putting the the uh, 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 results into the tablet. You know, rat 21, still, aggr- still showing aggressive behavior. Rats 23 to 20, uh, through 30, they, uh, they killed, it's killed the host. And then he runs into one rat. I think it was rat six, as a matter of fact. He says, uh, less less aggressive behavior, color returning to it. And then he makes a note, uh, make sure to test on human subject. Right. Yes, so, he's got this wall of pictures of the past subjects, yes, and they've all died. They've all died. And we Correct. should notice, when he sets that snare trap and captures this female infected, mm-hmm. there's this one, in the movie, this one, this character is called the alpha male of the infected. Yeah. He goes out there, even when it's sunlight, he's screaming and yelling at him, even when his skin is burning. And he, yes. even Neville makes a note, like, I don't know why they're doing that. Yeah, yeah, it's totally uh, atypical behavior. For these, so that's a foreshadowing for sure yes, of the yes, later yes. in the film. Eventually, you know. he keeps driving around, and is, 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 he's one so. time the dog goes into a 
place of the infected. Yeah. And they nearly, they have this dramatic escape where they nearly get bitten, but they survive. Right. This next time he's driving around and he sees his mannequin, Fred. Right. He's not in a place where he should be. And he's yeah. freaking out because, like, you're not real. Why are you there? Yeah. He shoots at him. And we have, to, it, we have to point out that Fred is one of those mannequins in that's store. in the video store who... Uh, Neville has placed, you know, outside the video store so he could have conversations with him. As in, so he sees Fred in the front of this building. Yeah, and he starts. Statue of Cornelius Vanderbilt. If there's a New York native, I wonder what that building's supposed to be. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. So he, he's freaked out by, about that, right? He approaches Fred, actually talking to Fred. What are you doing here, Fred? What are you doing here? And then what happens? <laughs> he gets the old trap. Yeah, he's he snared. They telegraphed it. I, went, I saw this the first time. Like, that's a trap. Yeah. Like, why are you not falling? Why are you why falling, are you falling for this? Yeah. Because um, it's a snare that is in basics in terms of the mechanics. It's identical to the snare that he used to snare the, the mm-hmm. female. Which, again, is another piece of foreshadowing here. This lets you know there's some kind of connection between what he did and how he got trapped. Yes. yes. And he's dangling there. It's getting close to a sunset. And then we see that alpha male again. Because like they also we see in like a expositional newspaper clippings that the infected can spread to dogs. Yes. So there are two infected dogs, and he's about to set them on him. Mm-hmm. But he's got his dog, Samantha, still with him. And right when the dog's about to bite him, Samantha saves him. Yep. They get into a fight, and he's able to kill the two dogs, but Samantha's been bitten. And he takes right. the, tries to save the dog. Probably the most heartbreaking scene. Oh, it's terrible. He, he, this, yeah. is, this is definitely like... The top ten of like saddest animal deaths in movies. Yeah. So he's, what he, tra- he he's he knows as soon as because Samantha has been bitten and clawed, right? And earlier they had said you know dogs can't catch it by air, right? But they can catch it by contact. So they've obviously Sam's obviously had contact with the with the uh, um, zombie dogs, right? Vampire dogs, whatever you want to call them. So he knows immediately. I've got to get her back as fast as I can. Give her an injection of uh, uh, trial vaccine trial number six. That's the one he was mentioning, in hopes that it would cure her. So he does that, and you see him holding her for a long period. But then she becomes quite aggressive, growling, growling, lunges at him, and he has to strangle her. Yeah, yeah. And this is this sends him over the precipice. This is the last straw for him, and he goes into a very deep, deep depression. Then he. Sets a trap for the infected because he set a mannequin yeah. at the end of that little pier because he's always doing radio messages for survivors. And he says, at midday, I'll be at this pier by the bridge. If you yeah. need contact, I can help you. Yeah. He sets that trap up there. They think it's him, but it's a trap. He has this uh, SUV. He's doing a suicide ram, taking as many with him. Yes. His car crashes. It looks like they're about to take him. Yeah, the alpha the, male, actually, yeah, alpha if male. I remember correctly... He's he's looking into the window and he's about to pull him out and uh, chew him up literally, right? And then there's this very very bright light. Yes, and he's yeah. sort of in and out of consciousness. And we see this woman with a car driving him, telling him, "I need you to tell me where you live." Yes, and then he wakes up. He's back in his apartment. There's this little boy, and we see the woman. Her name is Anna, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. she tells him that there are other survivors out there, and she is trying to seek a. 
She's from Maryland, mm-hmm. and but she is trying to make a way to a survivor's camp in Bethel, Vermont. That's what she's heard. And yeah. He's not having any of it. He doesn't believe her. Yeah. It's sort of they're at an impasse. Yes. But eventually he, so he goes to sleep, but he wakes up, and the thing that sort of eases tensions is the kid is watching Shrek. And yeah. He, Will Smith has seen Shrek so many times that, that he, he's able to quote it word for word. As the film's running, yes. yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good that's a good scene in there in yeah. the film. And so he's still there's still that tension between Anna. She's trying to convince him, just come with us. Yeah. And he sort of shows her what he's been doing. He says, I can't leave because I, I, st- I can find a cure, but I yeah. can't I can't leave with you. He feels an obligation all the way through this film. He's a colonel, right, in mm-hmm. in uh research medicine in the army, and it feels like it, it, it's a recurring theme in the film. He says, It's my responsibility. I have to stay in New York, find a cure. And hopefully cure these people. He tells his wife and his daughter that just before he sends them off, and he tells her that again here in this in this scene too. Yeah. And then it sort of gets close to the end because he, he told her like you if we're driving out at night you can't come back to my houses then they'll know where we are you have to we have to hide until daylight. Yeah. She doesn't do that because it was immediate to save him because of his injuries, and then that nighttime they're attacking. Yes. And so they gets to a big fight. The alpha male once again is coming for them, and they retreat into yeah. the basement. And he's looking at the woman who's been infected. He he, he said she was probably going to die, but he says it's still good for medical. But she's yeah. being calmed. Like, her body, you can tell the things that are common with the infected, the eyes, the way yeah, the skin Yeah, she's starting looks. to look more human yes. and less vampiric. And uh, she's been put on ice, literally, uh, to slow down her metabolism. And that seems to be working in conjunction with the vaccine to returning her closer to normal. Yeah, so then we should yeah. probably bring out, because it's getting close to the end of the movie. Yes. They're probably asking, okay, which ending are they going to talk about? Yeah. Because the theatrical ending, the one that people saw in theaters that was even through home video, which was the main version, mm-hmm. it goes, they're about to break down the door, but he gets this, finds this escape route, gives the cure. He thinks he's found the cure for this disease virus. Yes. To Anna and Ethan, and they make their escape. He blows the place up, killing all of the infected, and he has become the sa- He's basically become the savior for the humanity yes. and saving the future and getting rid of the virus. But the version we watched, because there's now an alternate version, which more people prefer, and which we'll get into, I guess, is now considered cannot the canon yep. of the storyline. Yep. He's finding the cure. They're banging down the door. The alpha male's there, but instead of looking like he's about to break down the window completely and take him, he instead blows on the window a little bit and makes a figure of a butterfly. Right. And like we've seen, because there's actually a lot of butterfly uh, symbolism in the movie, but the infected female has a butterfly tattoo on her neck. Yes. And then he realized, and there's a look of sadness in the alpha male's eyes. Mm -hmm. And then he sort of realizes that, he wants her that that's his mate that's his wife yes wife and he love there's love because he says like these creatures aren't you know smart they can't strategize they don't have love or hatred or yeah. any kind of emotions but that clearly they do everything he's yeah doing. yeah so there's a, a, a ceasefire almost he opens up the door yeah he takes the woman he has to stop the virus so she goes back to her normal self yes but she's back and they have the embrace and he has this yell of happiness almost or sadness or some emo- very emotional emotional reaction and yeah he does it he even the other infected want to bite um yeah will smith he tells him no and they just leave peacefully and like you can see in that background 
all mm-hmm. the infected that have died. Yeah. And that, that which is getting close to more of the ending of, of the, the book. Of the book. Yes. And it's sort of, he goes with, Neville goes with Anna and Ethan and he, they go to this camp and they have this hope for the cure. Yeah. But there's a oh. peace almost between, or I guess a ceasefire yeah. almost between him and the infected. Yeah. But it puts, I think in that moment he sort of thinks, I've, I, the, I, well, what's interesting is the title of the book, it's called I Am Legend, right? Yes. And it's, it's making a reference to the fact that vampires are legendary creatures for human beings. Something and con- you fear. Something you fear and things that are uh, behave in uh, inhumane and grotesque ways, right? So the twist ending in the book, and to some extent the twist ending in this particular version of the film... Yeah is that um, Neville comes to the realization that he plays a similar role in the world of the infected. Um, And uh, he has been doing things that, from their point of view, are, to use a descriptor, vampirific, (laughs) right? Or vampiric, I should say. He kidnaps them. He drives stakes into them. Or he doesn't do that. But he He does does medical experimentations on them. I'm getting this confused with the book. In the book, they're clearly more uh, vampire-like creatures. They actually have allergic reactions to garlic. Yeah. Neville actually uses stakes. He has to drive stakes into wooden stakes in order to kill them. And uh, uh, he does he does a uh, he does experimentation as well, um, and they come to the realization that for these um, infected people, they are monsters. They are as it were legends, right? And that's that's what I love about the book. It's a complete twist ending. He comes to understand this. Now, what I think is interesting, and it's touched on in the film, but not so much. It's more explicit in the book. Is he comes to uh, he comes to realize, and uh, um, the the woman in the book comes to realize that Neville, in a way, didn't know what he was doing, right? Because he he was aware that there were two, as it were, different stages or levels of the infection one where you're technically still alive right uh but you you have a lot of the symptomology of a a vampire but not as extreme as you do after you you literally die and then come back to life so to speak the quote undead right the undead um so he wasn't drawing a distinction. It was impossible for him to draw a distinction in the book when he goes out. And this is actually in the Vincent Price version, too. When he goes out on his daily rounds to find vampires and kill them, right? Um, because you can't really tell the difference between those that are in that first stage and those that are in the second. But In both cases, they stay indoors and in the dark, right, during the day. So... He feels like he's just protecting himself and protecting any potential other normal human beings that might be in the uh, environment. Um, but what what has ended up happening, and this is more clearly uh, developed in the book, is there's a substantial number of survivors, of, uh, infected survivors of the first category, right? Mm-hmm. And they have enough wherewithal to see that they don't want to become the undead. 
So they take efforts to prevent that from happening. So they do their own research. They develop their own society. They actually form a police force and a, a kind of a functional government, right? And naturally, with any kind of group like this, they're also wanting to protect themselves. And they're kind of stuck in the middle, <laughs> as it were, between Neville, the horrible legend, and the population of truly undead. They don't like either one. They're protecting themselves from both. And um, that that organization that uh, uh, has decided that it needs to, uh, I think, uh, jail Neville. So they send this woman in the book to essentially spy on him, right? Pose as a regular human being. Mm -hmm. And he kind of figures out she isn't because she reacts to garlic. Um, but at the same time, he wants to uh, help her, cure her. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't know that, that what her mission is. So she disappears. And then a little while later, there is, in effect, a kind of a, a SWAT team that shows up of the uh, the living. And she leaves him a note telling him to leave. Yes. Explain what she Because did. she's grown attached to him. Yeah. Right? So what ends up happening at the end is they come in and essentially arrest him. He, he gets in a firefight, right? He's mortally wounded. But they essentially ar arrest him. And then she tells him, you know, if you had just not resisted, we probably would have kept you. But now that you've resisted, basically our laws require us to execute you. Right? Mm -hmm. um, so he actually comes to somewhat accept that, or at least understand it. Um, he's, at the end, he's no longer revolted by them. Yeah. And, and, and now, that goes for the living infected. Yeah, no, living, he's I still definitely revolted yeah. by the undead, but... Also, this is a little a little subtlety, I think, here in the book, too. You notice in the book that when uh, uh, when this force comes to basically arrest him, that you know they have to uh, put him under siege. Well, it's happening at night, and some of the undead are out there too. And he's watching through a crack in the window or something. I forget what it is, but he notices that the forces that are taking out the undead are taking a lot of pleasure in it. So that, to me, indicates that this disease, which when you get to the furthest remove of the disease, this is in the book, not the field, uh, film so much. It, it, when you become an undead, you become almost completely savage and barbaric, right? Um, but you're starting to make that turn because they enjoy it so much even as a living infected person. Now, she'll explain it and says, well, you know, they're trained to do this, so they do take uh, some amount of pleasure in killing and uh, utilization of violence. But even if that's the case, they seem to be t enjoying it too much. So he's really turned off by that. Um, still, uh, kind of an interesting, I think it's an interesting commentary there in, in this uh, dichotomy um, and, on human nature, I think. Yeah, and at the, the very end when he's about to be hanged, it's a public hanging. Yes. All the infected that look at him, look when they first see his face, they're shocked by it. They're, they're, they look away in fright, like because the, to them he is a legend. Like, yeah. To him, he's what the vampires are to humans. They yeah. Something to be terrified and feared because he's killed so many of them. Yes. Uh, in 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 the in the dark of night, sneaking up on on them and doing what. You know, from an objective perspective, perspective or horrible things to him, right? Yeah, and 
their reaction to him, it reminded me, I don't know why it reminded me of this, when I was reading the book again, um, their, the reaction to him is like the instinctual revulsion that the characters in Dracula have to Dracula once they figure out what's going on with him. Um, it's interesting that they have this mm-hmm. reaction to oh, a... In the book, he even con- reads Dracula. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. And and they capture that to some extent in the Will Smith film, I think. Um, uh, there's... there's the CGI used, they're, they're trying to capture the remnants of the humanity of these beings, right? And it, it doesn't come out very clearly until that final scene in the alternate, alternate scenario. I think they actually do a fairly good job there. I mean, you can tell it's a little aged CGI. Yeah, you know, it doesn't look good 20, by, 20, by, by our standards. But still, they managed to get the emotion in the face of the alpha male. Right, uh, uh, the the pain that he's been through, and and then the, you have the intercut scenes between him and Will Smith coming to the realization: Oh my God, I've I've basically kidnapped and tortured his wife. No wonder he's reacting this way. Right? Um, they do a good job with that, actually, and that's a that's a a very brief and uh, aspect of the film that is like the novel. And it made me think as I watched this version, the Vincent Price yeah, version, and the Omega Man version, which is just truly bizarre. Um, it's 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 almost a shame that for whatever reason Hollywood has decided when they t- wanted to use this novel as source material for a film, they didn't follow it that closely. I, I really think the novel is superior to any of the films. Yeah, I guess we should talk about. The, the other two versions, um, the Last Man on Earth from 64, the Vincent Price one, that is not technically an American film, I don't think. There's a lot, it's an Italian produced company, was shot in Italy. Mm. And most of the actors, besides Price, are Italian, because that's what you can tell by the really awful dubbing. Throughout yes, the film. yes, that's right. And it's, it's the most faithful of all the three towards the it novel. It is. It's the only one that really brings in the vampiric parts, but yep. it, it, there is just, I couldn't get past like the low budget feel and the awkward kind of clunkiness of the whole kind of action scenes and yeah. all these other parts it just didn't sell it for me but it, and then the omega man like you say i just didn't i, I just straight up didn't like yeah because like i think and that one it's set in los angeles and it takes that the smith one takes a lot because he's cruising empty up la they move yeah. it to new york in the will smith version but and they're like and because the infected they're talking they're intelligent yeah, but they're called the family, and they're, they they have like this awful white face paint on their face, and they wear like cloaks. Yeah, so they're like a cult. I mean, the family. It's just two years after the, the Manson murders killers. of Sharon Tate, so you're obviously the mirrors to um, Charles Manson. Mm-hmm. But I, one thing, I it does take a lot of current things. Is one of the things I thought was very silly that Charlton Heston's this army guy in the army. And what does he do when he tries to connect with humanity? The things he enjoys, he watches the Woodstock documentary, listens to Country Joe and the Fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would be like if Richard Nixon started pulling out a Jefferson Airplane vinyl or something. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense, though, because uh, this is late. This is the early seventies, late sixty, early seventies. You also did see the rise of the Black Panthers. Yes, and the female love interest in this movie is African American, and this was at the same time as the big thing in. Television when William Shatner kissed Nichelle Nichols and that was the first ever interracial kiss and this yes. is 
in movies, this was, I believe, the first interracial love scene. Yes. So there was a lot. I mean, nowadays you don't think about it at all, but at that time, that yeah. was considered a pretty big, big deal. Yeah. So yeah. One thing to bring up: I don't like either of those movies. The the one Will Smith the one does pretty well, but the other two I didn't. Care yeah, I, you know, and, and again, I I did like the Will Smith one. There were there were aspects of. I think it was a little bit more creative and then it didn't it didn't want to hew too tightly to the novel so that gave them some advantages um uh, i i like the development but of the relationship between the dog and neville as Which was a bit in the novel it's a little bit different but there's well, a dog character there's a dog in the novel but it it it's not a relationship at all he's trying to tame the dog it's a it's a wild dog that has somehow survived all this and is still a normal dog and uh he ends up not ever getting uh being able to take it into his house right so i was wait as i was reading if i was kind of waiting for that to, to develop it never did but I, I think they do a good job in the film of using the dog as his last remaining connection to his family Right, because the the daughter had handed the puppy to him as she boarded that uh, helicopter. Mm -hmm. So you're really kind of rooting for both of them to survive. And when he has to strangle that uh, dog, uh, you feel that along with him. Oh my God, I'm having to strangle uh, this one being in this world that I care for that's left. And that very realistically I, I i think you put yourself in his shoes you can see why that sends him over that precipice into depression when he decides he's just gonna uh, commit suicide by vampire basically and uh um is only saved because anna happens to show up because i, I think you mentioned he's been broadcasting on a he's somehow set up an am, AM transmitter yeah. uh that's apparently <laughs> transmitting on every available frequency i don't know how he's managing to pull that off but uh you know he's a smart guy so he's been transmitting that like you said he, he said the transmission says you know i will be at, the, at this spot uh, on a pier here every day at high noon when the sun's the highest because it's the safest time of day uh and that happens to be when he was kind of starting to do this and she shows up in the nick of time having come to uh um, hopefully meet him right and what's interesting there is you know she she expresses more than on more than one occasion uh faith yes and uh he doesn't right he's much more of a kind of a you might want to put it this way kind of a secular guy right yeah. and i think yeah. also the fact that he brings up the statistics of you know yeah. we're the one percent of people who survived because somehow we're immune everyone else has died you know yeah. why would a why why, why would a just god let, let let something like this happen where an overwhelming number of the population not only dies but dies after contracting this horrible disease and becoming horrible beings you can't tell me that is there's a good or just god kind of governing the world that allows this kind of thing to happen and uh She's unfazed by that, you know. Mm-hmm. She, she says no, and she also has the faith that that, that group is in Vermont. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he says, how do you know this? And she says, well, I just know, right? And she mm-hmm. had I, I apparently heard rumors of it or something. Or she even at one point, I think, says God told her. Is that right? The, one of the things, that's one criticism I have, because it's just really that one, because I think it doesn't mix well when you have two different endings. The faith thing would tie into more 
with that original theatrical ending where yeah. you basically have him be a Christ-like figure sacrificing himself yeah. to save humanity. Yeah. But when you have this other version, it comes off as clunky because you don't really have that exploration of faith anywhere else besides that one bit of dialogue. Yeah, and, and they still have the opportunity to do it. Right, they could have had him recovering faith to some extent because you need an explanation for why exactly it is he's decided to go with her and leave the city, right? Because he had been saying all along, my mission here is to, using science, cure this freaking disease. I have to stay here to do this. So he ends up being in the car. Does that mean because, because he's willing to take that leap of faith with her and, and, and try to get to Vermont? You know, we see that their arrival at the Vermont camp in the first original ending, original. but we don't see it in this alternate, alternate ending. We're and we also, on the road. they're just on the road and her voiceover narration says nothing about it even. Um, so they, they could have included it there. Um, but also it's kind of interesting, uh, that he's left after he has had this kind of, for lack of a better word, kind of cathartic experience with the alpha male, right? Does it mean, his, his being on the road now, does it mean that he's essentially kind of abandoned this mission because he considers it to be deeply inhumane given the new setting? A vast majority of the people in the new setting now are in fact infected, Right? And he has discovered, I think, through this chain of events, that the only way he is going to be able to cure people, and by the way, it's a very low probability of success, is to conduct many more trials, which in, in effect means many more deaths of the infected to add to that big poster board he has in that uh, room of photographs. And maybe he's come to the conclusion that you know, all things considered, it's best that I don't try to I don't try to cure them. You know, they are in effect a new humanity now. I've got to let them exist. I'm in a very small minority. So me and Anna and her child. They just say roughly six million people left on Earth. Yeah. So maybe the best thing for me to do now is go, try and find that other colony if it exists. Probably doesn't exist, but in any case, we need to leave and kind of let them take over. Yeah, because yeah. there's, there's a lot of symbolism of butterflies. Yeah. There's a lot. When, the, yes. The flashbacks when he's taking his daughter to the um, evacuation zone. She keeps saying, look, Dad, a butterfly. She says that quite a lot. Yeah. And then the butterfly, the big thing is the butterfly tattoo yes. on the infected female's neck. Yeah. And it's like, once again, caterpillars forming a butterfly. It's like... The butterflies and the yeah. new infected human, and you wonder, not with after the end of this movie, if like there's going to have to be a peace or some sort of yeah. understanding between the infected and non-infected. Because yeah. if even if you say I have a cure, you don't have to be like this. They might react. We don't want that. We're fine the way we are. Stop forcing yeah. this on us. You know, we're a Partic particularly when the probability of success is low. Yeah, so they can right. kill us anyway, yeah, so uh, right. we don't want that. Yeah, and this, again, is a, uh, a theme that's very much more pronounced in the book. The Neville character in the book comes to this realization, right? Um, and it's very interesting, very interesting. Which is, because uh, 
last year it was announced that they are going to make a sequel. Yeah. And I, I which kind of undoes everything that the novel was about, even the ending, because yeah. uh, Neville will be back, Will Smith will return, and also the actor Michael B. Jordan, you might remember is the lead in the Creed movies. Mm-hmm. He's been in quite a few other things. He is going to be in there too. And it just having that, it makes me think that it's going to be a more action packed shoot em up shoot em up zombie kind of thing where it's like I'm wondering like unless you make it about like how humanity makes this peace and learns to coexist with the infected, I don't know what else you can do with that story. I don't know either. I mean the the only they've got to have a conflict, right? First of all. Uh, or you're not going to have much of a movie. It has to either be a moral conflict or a more, as you say, shoot 'em up physical uh, conflict, right? Um, now, maybe maybe what they can do is, if if you think logically about the progression of this disease, as, especially as it's described in the book, um, there's an inevitability that uh, the living infected will... Um, end up being the undead infected, right? Because even the living inf- infected in the, uh, let's see, the Heston film and in the novel, they do mention that, you know, their efforts at trying to slow down the progress of the disease. Notice it's not quite a vaccine. They find other ways to slow down the progress. But at the same time, they admit it nevertheless progresses. So... Of the people in this room, uh, they say uh, two-tenths of us will eventually become undead infected. So what we're going to end up having to do is ostracize you or kill you because you pose too great a threat in that state. So if it is the case that in in the larger population in, in the sequel, right, or in the time period that exists between this original film and the sequel i imagine there'll be some kind of they're going to have to have some time pass because will smith's going to look significantly older first of all so maybe what's ended up happening is the proportions have changed and there's very much more as it were undead um infected left a much smaller amount of living uh infected and they may band together with the completely normal human yeah, beings, and there would be a big war. Yeah, I mean, I mean bad. that's all I can. Yeah, it's, 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 that's okay. But I, again, I just think they they need to leave the story alone. All right, Any, getting close to my questions. Anything else that we should bring up? Well, since it is Richard Matheson, I do want to bring up how prolific that mm-hmm. guy was. I mean, he's well, I know him mainly from his work on the Twilight Zone. He wrote a lot of that. He worked with Serling a lot. Did a lot of the Twilight Zone episodes. I think the most famous is Nightmare at uh, Twenty Thousand Feet. The William Shatner. There's a there's someone on the wing. Yeah. That episode, yeah. but he did a lot of those. Yeah. I think it was him and like I, I don't know if they were friends, but I feel like him and Harlan Ellison did a lot of were were in that circle at that time in the late fifties, yeah. early sixties. Yeah. Yeah. I. I... I agree. I'd like to see more of his work made into films. I think it would be great. There was a, it was somewhere in time the uh, time travel romance movie with Christopher oh, yeah. Reeve and Jane Seymour. 
that was him. Incredible Shrinking Man. I think that was based yeah. on his works. There's a bunch of others. I'll have to look up later. But yeah. yeah, he's got quite a few. We'll have to add those to our yeah, list. He didn't like uh, the Vincent Price or the uh, Heston one either. Uh, yeah, and then he I, said I, Heston I can hardly blame. Like, it's not even my work. I, I didn't even. Bother <laughs> yeah, I didn't with it. Even, any any resemblance these films have to my work is purely coincidental. Yes, <laughs> yes. and I, I just my parting thought is again. I I, I think maybe perhaps unintentionally the the biggest theme of this film that I really think is driven home, uh, not only by the writing, but by the effective use of uh, modern special effects, is the loneliness. Mm -hmm. I think they do a fantastic job with this film, showing just how lonely he is and how desperately he's crying, trying to counteract it by giving himself routine and by relying on that dog. And boy, when he loses that dog... He comes unglued. Uh, really good job, you know. Even the interactions with the, the the dummies in the story, or in the store, they they come off at one and the same time as bizarre, a sign of him being mentally on the edge, but also humorous and touching. Managed to pull that all off at the same time. So I, I really liked it. I almost was kind of hoping that nobody else would show up in the film just to see how he deals with loneliness over the long term. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. They can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, which episode dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesoundofcinema.podomatic.com. And so for our next episode, we will be doing the 1984 film, 1984. So be <laughs> sure to uh, tune in for that one. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying, get your hands off my country, Joe album, you damn dirty ape. Thank you.